Well, good morning and welcome everybody one more time. Uh, my name is Dirk, preaching pastor here at Encounter Church, and we're in part two of this series called Evidence. And, uh, and I just want to kind of share like big picture about like what this series is about, because what I'm trying to do as, uh, as your pastor here at Encounter is to uh, try to kind of uh, diagnose and to figure out a little bit where we are spiritually and, and maybe some things that uh, we could we could probably stand to hear God speak into our lives. And I'll just kind of be honest and say, sometimes what I see around, and I'm guilty of this as well, I'm definitely lumping myself into there, is that we take this idea of faith in God and, and we kind of distill it down to this, to this like intellectual ascension, right? This set of theological propositions or a number of ideas and we say, yes, I agree with that. Or maybe there's some things that I don't agree with that. And faith very much becomes like this intellectual, this head exercise. And what God does sometimes to break us out of that is he shares with us a miracle. Like this supernatural, something, something that you can't even believe it because it violates the laws of nature that he created. And when I think he does that in the Bible and in the world today, I think he rescues us from that pit of, of thinking that faith is just this intellectual exercise. And he says, no, 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 I am a real, living, breathing, active God who's a miracle-working Lord over even those laws of nature that I created. And it's like he rescues us from just reducing him to a set of ideas. And I love that because it shows us that, that God is real and that God was here and that God is here even even today. So I get some questions, like in between, we kicked off this series last week, and I got kind of like questions about, well, you know, in the Bible, Dirk, you, you read through this thing, and you see like story after story of the miracles of God. It's like, the, it, it's like they're all over the place in the Bible. Why aren't there miracles like that today? And so I just want to give like a couple things. Uh, first of all, we sort of assume that the people in like Bible land <laughs> just knew that they experienced miracles every day. Like it was just the supernatural was just the most natural thing in the world. I don't think that was the case. In fact, um, Psalm 7711, I think it is, uh, the psalmist writes, uh, particularly at a time of despair and, and hopelessness, the psalmist like yells out at God, I will remember your deeds, O Lord. I'll remember your miracles of old. Which I love because it's just, we see in Bible land that they had trouble remembering the miracles of God because they haven't seen them around. And so this guy is like talking to himself and he's talking to his community and saying, no, no, we have to remember that he's a miracle working God. Don't forget he's a miracle working God. He has not a set of ideas to ascend to. He is a, he's a real, active, living, breathing, miracle working God. I don't think that there were nearly as many miracles happening in the Bible as what we think. Like, I think the Bible spans thousands of years, and there was a few time periods in there where it was just like, whoa, that's a lot of miracles. People coming out of Exodus, uh, in the Exodus, people coming out of Egypt, and there's like 10 miracles, plagues. We got locusts, we got hail, we got darkness, rivers turning to blood, like 10 miracles in a row. Wow. And then we've got like Elijah and Elisha and all those miracles of prophets and the ministry of Jesus and all the miracles associated with that. But this all takes place over thousands of years. And there's these massive chunks in there where people are going like, I need to be reminded that he's a miracle working God. He is not just a set of ideas to ascend to. 
There were fewer miracles in the Bible that you think. And I also believe that there are more miracles happening today than we know. I think that if we open up our eyes, and we're going to see this morning, I think that God is active in a lot more places than we know of. Because sometimes we miss it. And I say that today because we're going to get into something that is really kind of uncomfortable. I know I said that last week, we're talking about miracles and stuff, but now we're just deeper and deeper into it. Because we're going to talk about things that, uh, depending on how you grew up, maybe this is going to make you really uncomfortable. And don't worry, I'm not going to make you do anything weird. I'm not going to make you pray for the person next to you or is on the ride home or anything like that. I'm not going to say any of that. So you can just kind of sit back and just listen, hear me out, hear God out in the passage that we're going to get to in a minute. But I just want to acknowledge the weirdness that we're about to get into because we're going to get into some stuff that maybe you heard of as, or maybe you think of it as spiritual warfare. We're going to get into some stuff today that's a little uncomfortable because we're going to get into like the spiritual forces. You might even call it demonic influence. And as soon as I go there, listen, this is my background. And I'm like, I am really uncomfortable with this. I come from like this generally reformed background. And like, we don't, we don't talk about this stuff. And that's probably a problem. But, but there's others of you, right? And you're going, like, I grew up on this. It was like every weekend. This and maybe, maybe that was too much, right? And maybe you come here today and you're going like, I, I don't want another one of those. All right, so we're going to try to thread this needle and to try to listen to what God has to say to us about a topic that is, that is really uncomfortable and just kind of weird and we're not accustomed to thinking about it all that much. So I, wanna, I want you to, to flip to a passage. The words are going to be on the screen behind me. Also, you can follow along in the, in the Bible underneath the chair in front of you. We're going to go to a passage, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians is in the back of the Bible. This takes place after the ministry of Jesus. We call it a book of the Bible, but it's actually a letter of the Bible that one Jesus follower named Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus. And he was writing, it's important for us to know, he was writing from prison, uh, probably in Rome, but that doesn't matter. He's writing like, like chained up and he's probably dictating to a scribe who's going to write these things down and then send the letter to Ephesus, but to all of the churches around that region and through God's providence and planning to you and I today, thousands of years after the fact. He's got all of us in mind. He's writing, again, from prison, and he's writing in Ephesians chapter 6. This is only going to be a couple of verses long, but we're going to do it line by line. Verse 12, and it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. There's so much there. First, he he goes, our struggle. We are, make no mistake about it, we are locked into a struggle. And he's going to talk about what it's not, and then he's going to talk about what it is. But, But first, I just have to acknowledge, our struggle. There is, there is a struggle. Which in its own kind of weird, twisted way, I think it's probably good news for some people here. Because honestly, you've probably been feeling like you were locked in a struggle and you didn't have any words to describe it. Like some of you, I think, have come here today and you're tired and you're worn and you're anxious and you're, and you're kind of like beat up by Monday through Thursday and every hour that isn't this one. And you're wondering why that is the case. And I want to offer to you these words of Paul and God inspired and say, you're in a struggle. The Christian life, it said, is not a playground, but a battleground. You are locked into a struggle. If you're tired, if you're worn, if you, if you feel beat up by the world, listen, friend, um, 
that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to feel worn that way because it's a bad thing if you didn't. It's not a bad thing to get tired and to get worn. It's not a bad thing to enter the struggle. It's not a thing to look at your faith and say, man, this is like really, really hard to live out. That's not a bad thing. It's when you look at your faith and go, this is easy. Then it's the bad thing. So Paul, first of all, we are engaged and we are locked into a struggle because it's not, it's not against flesh and blood. See, this is the thing, that if there, was ever a, if there was ever a Jesus follower in history who could say, yeah, you know what? Our struggle is absolutely flesh and blood. Uh, he's locked up. He's in chains. He's, I think, staring at a Roman centurion guarding him. He's in prison. And he has the wherewithal to look up at this Roman centurion guarding him and go, you know, our struggle isn't actually against flesh and blood. If I'm the scribe writing it down here, I'm thinking like, uh, say that one more time. (laughs) He's right there. (laughs) It's against him. No, 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 not just him, but like all of the hymns. You have so many people that you're struggling against. Paul is the guy who got it from uh, the Roman government. Uh, kind of the top down above him, arresting him now and eventually leading to his own death and martyrdom. Uh, he, he got it from his own religious people that he was like breaking out of from like bottom up. I mean, he was squeezed on all sides. If anybody had the, uh, had the moral authority to say our struggle is against flesh and blood, it would be Paul. And if Paul says that our struggle here is not against flesh and blood, then I think we might ought ought to have the humility to say too, you know what, our struggle probably isn't against your mean boss, especially if you work at Encounter. (laughs) Our struggle is not against your mother-in-law. Our struggle is not against that one person who argues with you on Facebook forever. They're a lost cause anyway, or maybe you are. Our struggle, it doesn't matter, is not against them. Our struggle is not against Republicans. Our struggle is not against Democrats. Our struggle is not against them at all. He's going, it would be so easy for me to look at this guard in front of me and say, here's the problem. But I think with all of the inspiration and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit living inside of him, dictating these words from the inside out, he goes, struggle is not them. It's not flesh. And it's not blood. It's something else. It's, it's like it's, it's otherworldly in nature. He, he's going to paint us this picture about how there's the, the world that we see and touch and smell, and taste, the world that we can sense around us. And it's going, if you could get beyond what we can see and sense, there's like this other world underneath it. And and I do mean underneath it, because it's like this other world, this spiritual realm, a heavenly realm, he calls it. And it's like that one was underneath because that one was created first. Because in the beginning, there was God. And there was never a time that God didn't exist. That's very important. And we get this sense that there was also like these angelic beings in the Bible. And stuff happened there. I'm not really sure how it happened, but, but also the world was created. But the world was created last. And so like underneath the world that we can, we can sense is this realm behind, this spiritual realm, that we can only sense it in a spiritual kind of way. Now, God in the Bible does not tell us a lot about this. 
And I want to acknowledge that a little. Because if you've been attending here uh, for more than like five years, and so for the both of you then, <laughs> you've never heard me preach on this sort of stuff. You've never heard me stand up here and talk about uh, demonic influences or, or this like spiritual warfare thing. Uh, maybe it's because it's not in my background and I don't really know all the time what to, what to say that's true and also helpful. But, but there's this also fact that there's honestly just not that many scripture passages explicitly about this sort of thing. And I think that's kind of on purpose. In Romans, I think it's, uh, it's 16, God says that he wants us to be wise in things that are good and innocent from things that are evil. And so it just, it just paints a picture for me of a God who says, like, the best way to sort of protect you from evil from that, those spiritual forces I'm talking about earlier, the, the best way to protect you is not a preoccupation with them, but a preoccupation with God. Like God is saying, I, I don't want you to, to dwell on the impure. I, I don't want you to become wise in the ways of evil. I, I don't want you to think about all the ways that, that the world and that the otherworldly is deceptive. No, I, don't, I want you to think about whatever is good, Whatever is pure, whatever is whole, whatever is noble, whatever is godly, whatever is holy. I want you to think about those things because your protection comes from those things, not a preoccupation from what's evil. So I think it's intentional that God only gives us a little bit of information about this because, because he wants us, and if I'm applying this to myself and whatever I offer you on a weekend-to-weekend basis, I'm going to preach a hundred times more about the goodness of God than the badness of the devil. Amen? And we're going to dwell on the goodness of God, not the badness of evil. That's critically important. But there's this also kind of thing that says, no, no, but sometimes God says, like in our passage this morning, there is this other realm. And I just be aware of it, but don't dwell on it. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to aware of it, but we're not going to dwell on it. But we have to be aware. Okay, continuing on. Our struggle now, it's not against flesh and blood. Next line, verse 12, continuing on. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So much misinformation information about this kind of thing. Like, correction time. I don't know where this came from, but there is this, uh, there's this widely accepted uh, pseudo-Christian view that when good Jesus-y people die in him, they go to heaven and become angels. And somewhere along the line, when a you know, baby takes its first step or a bell rings, they get wings. Like, I don't, I don't know where it all comes from, but there's this widely held popular understanding that Christians become angels when they die. And if you take that to another logical step, you might be able to say, like, well, then maybe non-Jesus people, when they die, become like demons or something. And so you got God and his angels, and that's where they come from, and, and the devil and that demons, and that's where they come from. And they're kind of like sparring with each other, and we're sort of in the in-between time caught up in the middle here. <laughs> I don't know where that comes from, but it's not the Bible. I've read it. You should too. 
I don't know where it like comes from, but it, that's not our story. That's somebody else's story. Nowhere does it say that people become angels when they die. If any indication is that angels existed long before people. Uh, we, we don't become, we do go to heaven. We do go before God in Jesus when we die. And, and, and without Jesus, when we die, we also go before God, and I think he'll honor that wish to not be with God, right? But, but we don't become angels. We don't become demons when we die. It's not like this, this fight in between. Very few passages of the Bible uh, clearly uh, speak to this. You can go to like Isaiah tw- uh, 14, Revelation 12, and, uh, and you start to see, you know, where did uh, Satan, where did the devil come from, this kind of thing. Um, not really sure on that. You kind of read through, especially in Isaiah, there was the angel. Uh, he was the carrier or the bringer of light. That was something he did. It may have also been a title. In Latin, that's where we get our word Lucifer comes from. So maybe he's uh, Satan, right? Cast out of heaven. God gave him the boot because he wanted to be God. And so maybe that's where in Revelation, it says that the serpent or the, uh, the dragon, kind of a stand-in for the devil, took a swipe and, and brought down a third of the stars. Maybe they're angels, maybe demons. A third of the angels, two-thirds are still angels. One-third becomes demons. I, I don't know. Like, I remember, like, reading through some of this stuff in seminary of, like, all the great historical writers about this stuff, and you're, like, going, I can't, it seems a little, like, far, I have no idea. I have no clue. Frankly, all of it seems hugely speculative at best. And so people are taking, like, guesses at the proportion of angels versus demons in this universe. And I'm like, it's hard to separate like what's supposed to be taken literally and what's metaphorical and all this stuff. But, but here's, what I, here's what I want us to know about the spiritual forces that Paul's talking about and in the world today. Here's what I want us to know. No matter what scripture passage it is, the point always remains the same, that God is in control. No matter how maybe literal or metaphorical the, the prophecy in Isaiah or Revelation is writing about, and we don't know like, like, like what actually took place or what is taking place or what will take place, the point always remains the same. God is always in control. The biggest problem I think we as Jesus followers ought to have with that narrative I painted earlier about God and his army and and Satan and his army or Lucifer or the devil, whatever you want to call it, and his army, and they're like sparring it out, is that you kind of like presume this, this like equality among the two. And that is what the world teaches. Well, there's a little bit of good and there's a little bit of bad, you know, and they're fighting and they're like these equal but opposite forces like duking it out. And the Bible, the story of the Bible, the story of all of us is going, no, 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 no. that's not how it goes. That's not our story at all. Our story is this, God is always in control. There's not equal and opposite forces like duking it out. There's God and he's in charge. And there's evil in this world and there are spiritual forces in this world but they're finite at best, which means they had a beginning, a starting point. And most importantly for us today, the Bible assures us in Revelations that they do have an end point. The book of Revelation is exactly written to that point that someday evil will be done and finished because God at the end is in control and God remains. He is infinite. He has no starting point. He has no end point. And his power and his authority is unending and infinite. That's, that's the point that he's trying to make.
So in light of all of this, what I want us to do, I guess, is to avoid these two extremes. Um, Because on the one hand, I think sometimes we're guilty of, uh, of assuming demonic influence over everything, like over-assuming demonic influence in the world, right? The devil is under every rock, or there's a demon whispering in every ear, right? The reason why I'm broke is because the devil took all of my money. No, maybe you're broke because you're bad with money, and you didn't actually need any outside help in that process, right? Uh, one way that we go wrong is assuming that like every person, problem, setback in life is expressly the result of, of demonic influence. There's an over-preoccupation with that. I've talked to many of you. I don't think that's where we are. On the other side is maybe, maybe we go, go too far on the other extreme and to say, that there's this under-emphasis on some real spiritual darkness, demonic influence in our life. And I'll give you an example of that. Um, Encounter has a, uh, like this church is awesome. I love this place. (laughs) When the church first started, uh, it was very hard. You know, and like just looking back and preparing for this message and it just led to some good conversations and and some deeper reflection over everything. And I just, I remember the first just several years of uh, of encounter, of starting up the church and joining together with a few other believers and just trying to do church differently to reach a different kind of people. And uh, and I love that. I I love it. God is amazing throughout that whole process. But there was just something that was really tremendously hard. I don't think I shared much before with many of you. But um, so my wife and I—I got permission to share this ahead of time. But my uh, my wife and I would argue on Saturdays, like every every Saturday. And I'm guessing many of you are kind of in that same boat because you've probably had a lot of arguments on the way into church, right? Like when you drive by and everyone's yelling at each other and you're like, sit down and be quiet, kids, we're going into church today. You're like, everything's great. I absolutely get that. But mine typically came on Saturday. (laughs) I left the house too early for it to happen on Sunday. That was my workaround. Um, That was a joke. (laughs) So like every Saturday for years on end, and actually it became such a predictable routine, such a predictable habit that we'd actually joke about it. Uh, Monday through Friday, we'd say, like, what are we going to argue about? And for the life of me, I can't remember what any of the arguments were, were about because they weren't about anything, right? There was just like this nastiness that would sort of loom over and then we'd kind of go to bed like forgiving each other because like Jesus people, we have to. Uh, but like still kind of stewing about that a little bit and trying to, you know, and then like repeating the process over and over and over. And I remember a few seasons in there that were so remarkably difficult and I can't think specifically about those things. We're just sitting in a friend of mine's office and just weeping because it's just, it's so hard. You know, and I look back and there's a, there's a lot of reasons that I can go to and say, you know, I think it was probably that. Uh, the church started on October 10. We had our first baby born. Our daughter was born on September 16, immediately before then. And so that was interesting timing. Uh, 
And then just as like sleep patterns started to set in, our son was born uh, a couple years after that. And so I could, I could easily look back and say like, we were not sleeping well. I was not sleeping well. I know that on Saturday, I just kind of carry a lot of anxiety with me and I had to carry a very short uh, kind of hair trigger on that. And so I know that I'm not the easiest person to be married to, right? And so I can just kind of say like, yeah, there's this low grade anxiety level with me all the time. I could go to a lot of different things. But one thing in that process is that I didn't pray for protection. You know, I didn't pray for God to to deliver us from that. You know, if we've improved in this at all, and I think we have, it's, it's because I think, I think we do a better job praying about that. I know I pray a lot more today about simply being delivered from that than I used to. And I just, I wonder if there's something that's in your life right now that, that you could explain a thousand different ways, right? It's just a low-grade generalized anxiety. It's just because of your upbringing. It's because of your friend group. It's because you can't seem to escape it. It's because of boredom. It's because of technology. It's because of ease. It's because of, and you could go on and on and on with that thing. And I just kind of wonder if maybe the solution isn't, oh, I should really get eight hours of sleep, or I should exercise more, or I should get a new community group, or I join a small group. You should join a small group. You should serve at church. Uh, maybe, maybe that's not ultimately the solution to everything, though. Maybe the solution is sitting down and saying, God, I think someone knows what you're capable of accomplishing in my life. And I think that power would do anything possible to rob you of that victory, God. I think God looks at this church and he sees the lives changed in it. And he goes, you know what? There are powers out there that would say, no, I don't want those lives to change. I don't want that kingdom to advance. I don't want people to find this new living hope in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to do like whatever we can to rob God of that victory. And so maybe our role in that, maybe it is to get a little more sleep. Maybe it is to get a new small group. But I think ultimately our role in that is to say, God It's your story first and last. Deliver us from evil. So what do we do besides pray? Are we helpless in this? Absolutely not. Remember Paul, he's sitting in prison. And I just, it doesn't say this, but I just kind of imagine he's staring at a Roman centurion, a guard. And he goes, here's what we do about it. Therefore, verse 13, put on the full armor of God. And I think he's looking at a guy with armor on. Put on the full armor of God so that when, when the day of evil comes, not if, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Like, keep on standing. When the day of evil comes, it's almost like it's, a, it's an expectation when that day of evil comes. I remember a little while ago, I had a water heater and a new set of tires both do at the same time. And it was like, oh, that's awful timing. Like who could have seen it coming? Anybody who's halfway decent at planning, they like put the dates on the water heater of like when they were installed so that you know about when they're going to need to be replaced. Anybody, mechanic could tell you when your tires need to be replaced, right? It's not a matter of if the water heater goes out, if I'm ever going to need new tires again, but when. Plan on it. It's not an if, it's a when. And when that happens, here's the thing, when that happens, we're like, you know what? We're talking spiritual forces, demonic influence. We're, not, we're in no position to be able to stand up on our own with our own power against God. Exactly. 
I'd like to paint an image for you for just a, a second here. You're driving down the highway and you see one of these big rigs, right? 18 wheeler, just, just semi parked alongside the highway. And you see a cop, not in a squad car, but in a, in a motorcycle. So it's like tiny, right? And you see that, that police officer walk up to the side of that semi truck. And no offense to our men and women who serve, but, but like she's no more than five feet tall on a good day. And she's like looking up like this at the truck driver in his cab. And he's like looking down at her. And I'm going, how in the world does this petite officer with a motorcycle pull over the big rig? Is it through her power? No. If this thing came down to power, the 18-wheeler is going to turn that motorcyclist into a smudge mark on the highway. This has nothing to do with power. It has everything to do with authority. Because in the cab, as the driver is barreling down the highway at probably too high of speeds, or maybe you missed a way station or something, and the, and the truck driver sees in the mirrors the red and blue flashing lights behind him, he knows he's just a little motorcycle. What are they going to do? They're going to call in their authority. And they're going to keep on calling in authority until they get more and more power. And the, and the equipment and the motorcycles and the squad cars get, get ramped up. And the toys, like the like, tax strips and helicopters, they'll call in as much power as they need to eventually force that semi off the road. Church, we're like that officer who walks up to the side of that truck or turns on the flashing lights. We have no power. But make no mistake, in Jesus Christ, you have authority. We have the authority to not stand up to it, but maybe a better image is go down on our knees to it and say, Jesus, not on my own strength, not on my own determination in my willpower, but I see this thing in my life that I want to be freed from, and I don't have the power. I'm powerless, in fact, against it. But Jesus, I know that you're not. So in faith and in your authority and power, I pray, God, deliver me from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We may have no power, but in Jesus Christ, we have all, we have an unending amount of authority to appeal to. So, I'm generally skeptical of a lot of stories, but I came across one that for whatever reason just has a weightiness to it. Um, and, and I think it's from a, a credible, or so it's from a reliable source. And I say that because I think she's just as skeptical as I am, and maybe as many of you are. It uh, takes place a number of years back in uh, uh, post-communist Eastern Europe, a kind of place where the faith, Christianity, and a census it, it doesn't even register, right? Which makes it a perfect place for her and her husband as missionaries and child to go to and to start sharing the message and the love, the light of Jesus Christ in a dark place. But within a little while of arriving, stuff begins to happen. And it's like, like, like harassment. And it's little at first, but it just gets bigger and it gets weirder. 
like a liter of urine is dumped out on our kid's stroller. Blood is posted up on the apartment door. There's a hole in the apartment that's been drilled through, which is recognized as a sign that a break-in is going to happen. They feed a scope in there, a camera, and they kind of look at, plan out what they're going to take later on. Terrifying stuff. Every Bible study for over a month straight that they had planned as missionaries, so it was a bunch of them, every Bible study that they had planned, somebody in the house got a stomach virus or flu for it. It was just stuff like that just kept on happening. But none of that really paled into comparison with a few months in, her two-year-old kept waking up in the middle of the night, like, like every night waking up screaming bloody murder. And so uh, Eowyn, her name is Eowyn Stoddard, uh, she's sharing this story and she's going, I, we have no idea what it was. We could not calm him down. And it just went on every single night for weeks and then for months. And it wasn't actually until he was older, two and a half, three years old, that he could actually start to articulate some of his, some of his thoughts and, and verbalize what he was seeing at night that woke him up. And, and so thinking like, she's got other children, she's got toddlers, she knows what that's like, and, and going, typical, you know, it's bear is chasing me and it was scary, mama. And, and then they calm him down and go back to bed. No, this is different. Son, can you tell me what you're seeing in the middle of the night? And he goes, this is pale woman with jet black hair and red eyes. And she's wearing nothing but a bra and black pants on. And she's chasing me down and she's got this bowl of rotten fruit. And she's forcing me to eat it in front of her. And she's going, this is not a typical two and a half, three-year-old toddler dream. As a generally reformed person, I'm very uncomfortable with this. What do I do about it? Well, not assuming that everything is demonic influence, but not assuming that nothing is either. She calls together some of her Missionary Alliance friends from the neighboring regions and towns, and together they make plans. They know the armor of God, and you'll just have to go home and read the full armor later, but at least composes of prayer and scripture reading. And so they post up outside his bedroom door, which is closed, outside the window of his bedroom with the shades drawn, and they take turns shifts all night long, praying and reading scripture, praying and reading scripture. And she goes, it's a miracle because for the first night when we did that, for the first night in over six months, he actually slept through. But the real miracle was the next morning when she asks him, did you have the dream again? And her heart drops when he says, yes. But mom, she was right outside the window and she couldn't come in. Praise God. We have armor. We have defense. We may not have Power, but we have authority to call on the one with unlimited power. I cannot tell you every time we plan a baptism weekend here at Encounter, and this is our third one, the strange stuff that keeps coming up. And I could say it is, it is work schedules. I could say it's weird health crises in families. 
I, I could say it's plumbing. I could say it's logistics. I could say it's travel plans. I could, there's so many other things, but it's just like putting it all together. And I just, God, I don't know what to make of this. I don't want to believe. I, I don't believe that the devil is around every corner and underneath every rock. I don't believe that every problem is the result of demonic influence. But there are certain times when it seems like God is pushing ahead where I can't help but wonder if maybe it has something to do with it. And so I just want to like give you an appeal that if you're in that place and you're just wondering what God is doing, just maybe it's not your role to stand up against it, but maybe it's our role to stand on our knees in front of our Savior and to say, God, I have no power, but in you, the highest authority, I appeal. Deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. Amen. Would you stand up and let's pray together to that God together. God, there are things in this world that we don't understand and that we don't always get and that sometimes we get wrong. So God, if we take anything out of today, may it be that you're in control over all things and that you're sovereign over all things and that you're living, breathing, miracle-working, active God who was and is here with us. God, in those times of temptation, in those times of problems and setbacks, in those times when it may be a lack of sleep, it may be work schedules, it may be a thousand different barriers, Spirit, will you give us the courage to appeal out to you and to ask you to deliver us from evil so that your kingdom may come. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, we have a prayer team set up on the table in the back. If you need to be prayed over this morning, please take advantage of that.